You're listening to the Inside the Mix podcast with your host, Mark Matthews. Hello and welcome to the Inside the Mix podcast. I'm Mark Matthews, your host, musician, producer, and mix and mastering engineer. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about your favorite synth music artists, music engineering and production, songwriting, and the music industry. I've been writing, producing, mixing, and mastering music for over 15 years, and I want to share what I've learned with you. So hey folks, and welcome back to the Inside the Mix podcast. And in this episode, as usual, I'm always excited. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Daniel Cox. is one third of uh, Pensacola Mist, who are a high contrast synth pop trio inspired by 80s synths and nostalgia. Known for their larger than life light show, powerhouse vocals and electric onstage energy. Love that description. And uh, Dan's going to share the story behind Pensacola Mist, synth pop songwriting, the ups and downs and of being in a band. And the new album, which will be out on the 15th of July. Dan, thanks for joining me today. And how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, really looking forward to this too. Hey, so um, I've been following you guys for a while online. I know we've been back and forth probably over the last year or so. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I absolutely love your your music. It's right up my street in terms of like synth oh, music you. and synth pop and whatnot, man. Brilliant. Um, I've been binging it this nice week, as I always do. Um, so <laughs> for the audience listening um, via the podcast now, this is a live episode being streamed on Facebook. So if you're listening to this retrospectively, um, join the Facebook community group. There is a link in the uh, the show notes and you can then keep up to date on future live episodes. So we're going to look at the uh, the story behind Pensacola Myth. So what I want to start with, the first question for this particular episode is uh, the story behind the band. Well, actually, let's start with your own story. Let's start with your own story. So your musical life leading up to Pensacola Mist. Yeah, well, um, growing up, um, music wasn't like a huge part of my life. Like my mom and dad had some favorites and we would have them on cassette and listen to them mainly in the car and over and over. So there would be an album for maybe that would last us two years and I'd just know it inside out. So it was, you know, um, whether it was my dad listening to sting i guess in the 90s or the cranberries nice. and and my mom listening to the cause you know so it's it's kind of like it, it there'd be one tape for 18 months or so and that would just get repeat 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 and and other than that there wasn't you know i wasn't i wasn't exposed to a lot of music um my my granddad was in a folk band um and in fact it's still a disrespectful to say he was just because i haven't seen them for a little while doesn't mean that he's just <laughs> stopped and um and and so you know there's there's kind of like this folky influence that that um that was the start of music for me and, and kind of the, certainly the start of seeing it performed live and um and that you know i would i would ask at the age of seven or eight to to see them every time they performed and it was probably just in the corner of a pub somewhere or there was a there was like a fate or something and they were playing and i would i would just ask to be there um at every opportunity they could because i just loved seeing it come together live and and uh and that's kind of left a mark on me i'm quite sure amazing um yeah no that's great that's great it's always great when you hear stories about how uh individuals have grown up with music and how it influences and their sort of their parents getting involved with those influences as well um so with regards to music itself is there like a seminal album or artist that uh, sort of had a direct influence on you growing up yeah so so that kind of continued that um lack of exposure to to lots of music um kind of you know until through, through my teenage years and one of the first times I remember music really kind of hitting me, and um, and I, I'm sure this will come up with with other people in you know in synth pop and synth wave, but it was playing Grand Theft Auto Vice City <laughs> and just falling in love with those songs of the '80s. You know, I'd listen to Flash FM yeah. on repeat. I would just, in fact, I'd sometimes turn on that game 
park the car up and just have the car radio mm-hmm. going so I could hear some of those tracks. And, and I was just like enamored by how fun it was and how, you know, and how light. And that's kind of, I guess, probably when I started checking out Top of the Pops 2 and stuff and just seeing what other sort of 80s things uh, I'd kind of missed. I guess actually a, a memory's just unlocked in my, in my mind of, of, of buying, um, of my mum buying, uh, uh, black and white, black and white, the, the Michael Jackson track on cassette when I was probably like four. I think I must have heard that on the radio and wanted that on. So that's sort of like, you know, that sort of 80s, early 90s, but you know, but I guess mainly, mainly 80s stuff has just kind of been there in the background throughout the whole journey. But yeah, I, th- I think, I think when, when that came out, that game came out and unlocked all these other sorts of, uh, these sorts of things that, that I could hear and, and kind of delve into, um, it's bizarre that it would be a compilation from a video game that kind of, that kind of starts it as something you know something that unlocked it but 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 that you know that was a, that was a real kick for me to kind of get me going um and then uh if if i then started to discover a few a few more bands through some of my friends and um and it was actually block party that took me through most of my teenage oh yeah you know yeah like like that sort of smart indie rock mm. um primarily based around you know silent alarm being is still one of my favorite albums uh and and of course, that's absolutely not synth in any way, but, but they do still like to play with guitars in a way through their loop pedals and their delays and things. So it's like kind of coming up with these different soundscapes out of something that, you know, everyone kind of starts with two guitars and a bass and drums and see what, well, what can you do with that? You know, so that, that's, that's been something for me. But if I had to pick a band and, and, and sometimes I don't tell this because it, uh, can give the wrong impression or, um, uh, or can re- require more of a follow-up, but I'm a mega fan of the band Kith. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's something about them that have, you know, they just, they just live here rent-free the whole time. It's, it's the aesthetics and it's the, uh, the stage show and it's, and it's thinking that music can be something more than just what you play. And I'll be the first to say, um, I, I don't think there's a good Kiss album and they had about 35. So <laughs> it's not, you know, that's something that's kind of bigger than music. And I think I, I, I enjoy seeing that with, with bands and seeing what can they do that, that's, that's more, um, as much as, as much as I love listening to Radiohead as well, you know, Radiohead's a, a favorite band of my wife and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's on and I, and I love listening to more, uh, intelligent music, but sometimes just thinking that music is, is there as an escape is something that I just love going to, like. And, and something that synth pop and synth wave really help with, I think, you know, mm. it's kind of this, I like to say it's this, um, nostalgia, it's, it's rose tinted glasses for a time that never existed, but we can all kind of pretend we all have the same imaginary version of the eighties mm-hmm. that just didn't exist. And we can all just like open these different chapters on, on, on new stories that happen there, but they're all in this same shared universe somehow that we all know the rules to. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, it, it it's just seeing what, what, can music be more than uh more than just putting on the cd yeah i like that um going back to what you said right at the beginning there about vice city i i very much did the same i don't know about you but what i would used to do is i'd find a plane and i would i think in vice city you could fly fly helicopters were in vice yes, city yeah that was they, they did have helicopters in yeah them. and i would find a <laughs> chopper and then i would just circle <laughs> i listen to mm-hmm. the same radio station I'm waiting for, I think it was yeah, Cutting yeah. Crew, Dying, Dying My Arms Tonight. I'm fairly certain that was on there. Uh-huh. And I yeah. would wait. What a song. Yeah. Oh, fantastic song. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I would wait for that to come on and then just keep circling around. Yeah. Yeah. That Vice City game is fantastic. And Kiss as well. Kiss are fantastic. I mean, songwriters, as you mentioned there about a band who are bigger than them. Are they, that's probably the wrong phrase. Not necessarily bigger than their music, but they certainly 
as a as a brand as an entity they did it the right way i mean if you look at what they were doing in the 70s into the 80s as well mm-hmm. i mean gene simmons uh when you got the figures and i think they had a cartoon as well if i remember rightly yeah well, they, they had a marvel comic actually that they put their own they put they put vials of their own um blood into the red ink that got mixed into the comic it was all about it was all about this bigger thing so you know, I kind of feel like I keep that mentality, obviously, on this tiny mm. scale, but everything I do, like, well, how can we make this bigger or more uh, bombastic or, or how, you know, how do we make this more like more of a talking point than than just this one thing we're doing? If we're already going to do something, we may as well turn it into something a little bit bigger and a little bit more exciting. You know, that's that's something that I, that we try and yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and without... make it different, different, do something different. I yeah. didn't know they did that. That's so narcissistic. They're doing that. <laughs> that is. <laughs> that is isn't it they they also they were playing they were playing the media with it you know um gene simmons obviously has his 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 uh character in within the band and and you know and i will never be uh, uh certainly not of those days like a, a gene simmons defender mm. um but paul stanley the, you know the lead singer is, is my go-to and they all have these characters and paul stanley's this romantic figure with roses and you know he's, he's the lover of the group and then gene simmons is the opposite side of that with demons yeah. spitting blood but they had this reputation for being um for being devil worshippers and, and and kiss standing for knights in Satan's service and everything. And it was never true. They're so soft. Yeah. They're so light. I actually saw them in that on uh, download last week, which was their last ever UK um, show. And, uh, and, and throughout the day, the crowd, when people were announcing the kiss were headlining that night, the crowd are booing because that's a, that's a crowd of metalheads and rockers and they don't like kiss because kiss is not that, you know, it's, it's this kind of separate thing. It fits best in there better download than it leads our yeah. reading but also it's so different and divisive yeah i i, I think i saw kiss uh, this is take me back now i wish i'd gone to download this year um but i saw them in 2000 i think it was 2008 or 2009 at download and i was there in 2008 as well yeah, yeah. oh probably <laughs> no, i've stood right at the back of them i, I say I, st- I watched i did i sort of like i was going from a to b and they were playing at the same yeah, time yeah yeah um i can't remember i don't know if it was the full lineup or not don't know well, yeah, they've uh, Gene and Paul. I think that as long as they're there yeah. at the head, then I think it all it all makes sense. They're, they're talking and, and and they're talking about replacing them at some point down the line. But I think that will be a very short lived ex- experiment. That as soon as they go, it's yeah. done. I think. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that's where they're seeing yeah. it as maybe as a brand rather rather than like a, like a rock route. They want to keep the Hello Kitty merchandise going. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I like what you said there about mm. how you, you're trying to, on a smaller scale, trying to emulate it with your, the live shows that you guys put on as well, which we'll, we'll come back onto in a bit later. Yeah. So that kind of moves us on nicely then onto like the birth of um, Pensacola Miss. So mm-hmm. um, first things first, the name. Can you tell us where the name came from? Um, yeah, well, it, like like most names, I guess, or, or at least half names, out of thin air, really. It, it, the missed part just happened straight yeah. away. It was it was always going to be missed. and. And what's what's interesting is that we um we had this name when we recorded an album that was primarily guitar focused and was more down that sort of block party route that Oliver and I wrote together in our home studio. Um, but it translated so well into the synth world, like you know, we yeah, didn't definitely have to consider changing it because Pensacola Mist just fits in here with this feeling. But yeah, so so Mist had this evocative eighties mystery, you know behind it and and we knew that you couldn't just be called mist there'll be a million other mists and if you google mist you're going to get weather reports <laughs> and you know you want to be able to find us you know you've got to be able to find us so um so we were we we're thinking about um about place names in america again thinking about that sort of uh romanticizing path of the states and especially if you are not from the states uh, and 
and specifically, I guess, from the UK, where everything that we ate in, you know, pop culture wise uh, was from America, really, you know, 90% of everything that we saw on TV or listened to was big from, from the States. Um, so we started um, thinking of places uh, in the States that we and just trying to match it with mist and seeing what worked. Um, and, and it was Oliver and I both um, have been lifelong wrestling fans as well. So we were just listing off wrestlers hometowns. And then we got Pensacola and thought, Pensacola, yeah, there's something in that. And it, it kind of like flows nicely. So Pensacola missed it was and it. And yeah, so, so that was that, that one night of what the hell did we put with mist? Uh, yeah, it kind of came together. Nice. I like that. That's a great story about being wrestling fans as well. And it's, it's odd yeah, you mentioned yeah. that because uh, earlier this week I found I said I had some time on my hands and I was a wrestling fan back when I was sort of like 13, 14. This was like mm-hmm. the prime era of like Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Rock oh, yeah, and actually, Mankind times, yeah. and that whole yeah. era. And I was watching um, videos from back then. And I think I was watching, I ended up watching a, a Hulk Hogan. This is going way back for even further versus mm-hmm. Undertaker. And it's amazing how like wrestling just circles back. And it sort of underpins mm-hmm. well, a lot of the, the social media, not a lot of it, but some of the social media I do as well, whenever I'm responding to things. So I can't think of anything. I'll just find a wrestling uh-huh. gif <laughs> and chuck in there. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's great to find that somebody else has done sim- something similar and is on, a, on yeah. a similar pathway with that. But no, that's, that's a, cool, Wait, um, that's a cool, cool way to come up with a name. Yeah, there's so many lessons, though, that come from wrestling, much like you think of with Kiss and the aesthetics of it all. And, 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 and almost um, what they what they call gimmicks, their characters are gimmicks. And and in music, I think that the legends that you put up there kind of have these gimmicks. Like they're not these people that are living this. It's definitely themselves. And in wrestling, like I think in music, best gimmicks are when it's a person just turned up to ten or eleven. You know, if we want to just talk final tap. Yeah. Um. And 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 I feel like that's something that we've kind of tried to do as well with you know whenever whenever I play in this in, on the stage i've got these fingerless gloves i always wear a different leather jacket and and the show that we've got coming up next week we're all in these black sequins and it's like we're not going to wear that stuff out and about but it also doesn't feel uncomfortable when we do it on the stage because we're just finding these characters these gimmicks they're kind of the same as the characters that gene simmons and paul stanley were playing or that um undertaker is in, in wrestling or stone cold steve austin they're, they're taking they're taking elements of themselves and just turning it up and and i think that uh, uh any any classical yeah you know freddie mercury and david bowie and michael jackson and all, and all those people are kind of a gimmick that they have that they are living and turning up to 10 and, and kind of presenting themselves and then that's you know like that's how that's how you make you make a you can make a good connection with audiences by by uh being more than a, a shoegazer which you know it is is all fine if that's what you do but but i i think it's more fun to kind of find that character and and turn it into something no, I, I'm with you on that. Well, I totally agree. And I think when you see live acts and you can see that they've put the effort in to make something different, something visual um, to go with their music as well. I think it's I think it's a massive part of the overall show. And also it, it comes back to the fact that there is something memorable as well. And it's a different experience that they would get otherwise. Um, and it's more fun for you, I think, as the performer as well. I, oh, I remember yeah. when I was in a band and I performed. And admittedly, we didn't go down the stretch of having the outfits and stuff like that. But I would always think to myself, you kind of want to, I was never never a shoegazer, which is probably why I made so many mistakes when I was performing live. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too. But I thought to myself, you know what, there's another guitarist in the band, um, so I can sort of get away with it a bit. And it was heavy metal, so once again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's some leniency there. But yeah, I think <laughs> certainly you got to put on a show, and I think that's key. And from what I've read from the, the feedback and I've seen and the various bits and pieces I've seen online, um, you as a live outfit certainly do put on a show. 
No, we we try. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. So, with regards to the band itself, so how did you mm-hmm. sort of meet? I, 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 from what I can gather, is it was yourself and Oliver to begin with, and then Melissa yeah. joined further down the line. How did you meet Oliver? How did things get started? We'll be right back. So I've got a hunch about a common struggle we all face, mastery. If you're an independent artist or music producer, you've probably encountered the frustration of masters that just don't hit the mark, right? They lack balance and refuse to play nicely across different devices and environments. Ever found yourself wondering, why don't my masters sound like my references? Perhaps you've spent countless hours attempting to master your tracks only to be unsatisfied with the results. Maybe you've tried every Silver Bullet plugin or even dabbled in AI. Or perhaps you're already working with an engineer, but you're eager to explore different possibilities. Well, here's the solution you've been searching for, Synth Music Mastering. I'm offering a game-changing opportunity with a one-time free test master for a limited time. Picture elevating your music with my unwavering commitment to quality and a personalized touch that you just don't get with the big mastering studios. The best part, it won't cost you a penny. Just submit your finished mix and let's see how we can transform your music together. Don't let mastering be a mystery any longer. Say goodbye to the frustration and step into a world of sonic excellence. Grab your free test master now, click the link in the episode description, or head over to synthmusicmastering.com. Um, so so Oliver and I, um, I'm a couple of years older than Oliver, but we both met in school together and uh, you know, we both hang out in the music room and we were in different bands. But we got to know each other that way and you start jamming as you do when you've got some free time at, at school or it breaks. And um, and and we just kind of always we just um, there are a couple of people that I've that I've been lucky enough to meet and can just partner with in in terms of music. And just I do something and they do something that completes it. And it's always that it's always that way. And so Oliver and I have been making music together for um, although Pensacola Mist is probably about five, five years old now. Um, we've been writing music together for about 15 years i think going going way back to school um in different in different bands and, and in different form um but but this pensacola mist um was was the first time that we tried to really come up with something that felt um cohesive and that we kind of had an idea in mind from the start um, we're from a really small town called berwick upon tweed that's right on the the border of england and scotland and uh, we're 60 miles away from newcastle and 60 miles away from edinburgh so we're we're quite we're quite out of the way, um, and and the, and it, uh, being quite rural, there's there's not a, a huge population here. So you find yourself there's the same twenty, thirty musicians of your age group that just circulate between bands, and and of course it's always the case that there's probably three drummers in town, and you're all trying to get a hold of them, and uh, and when you can get a hold of them, you've got you tend to have four vastly different styles of musicians that come together when you're in that sort of situation, and so what we've made in the past has been really fun, but has not been, uh, yeah, I guess cohesive, the best, best word for it. We're all coming with these different influences and you get something interesting, but sometimes you kind of want to want to create a, a piece that feels like it belongs all together and that it's really kind of trying to say something without getting distracted by, by how four different genres might approach it, I think. And, um, and so Oliver and I uh, started Pensacola Mist, um, primarily as, as a, as a, as a home studio, um, uh, project where we would write together, we would write songs that we believed in, and then we'd maybe try and find the band to fill the gaps after that point. Um, which we knew would be tricky, but at least we'd have some material to kind of start the ball rolling. Is someone interested in filling the shoes of this drum track that we've already written or 
or or this second guitar part or something. Um, and 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 I guess that's how Pentacolumist uh, started in in form that it is now. I think that's a really cool way of doing it. I think because with regards to certain instruments in a band, uh, you probably know this. They're, they're a lot harder to find than others. Um, drummers, mm-hmm. for example, finding a good drummer mm-hmm. is a, can be very yep. very tricky, and bass players as well. And so actually not having that hindrance of thinking, oh, we can't actually do anything until we find these two other or three or however it may be other individuals is actually mm-hmm. quite nice to hear that you can just start writing um, and creating this this body of work and thinking actually now we can plug the gaps with the people we find along the way. So um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. So how long it, it did was, you yeah. sort of write music with, with Oliver before Melissa came onto this? Yeah, so... Um... Uh, so we did a couple of guitar-based albums, um, uh, just the two of us, and um, and we were still at that point essentially preparing material to to play live with the band. And um, eventually, I mean, the technology is at the core of everything that we've done with Pensacola Mist up up to this up to this day. We've never, you know, we we couldn't do it without the technology that that we use now. And and I think so many other synthwave and synth pop artists are, would would say the same with how heavily they rely on what they can do with the technology that's in front of them. So it was having GarageBand on on my Mac that let us do those first two albums, and it it was free and it was on there and it's really easy to use and um and and that uh, and and that that helped us kind of create that first vision. Then when we got to try and find the musicians to to fill the gap, it just um. It just didn't really happen. I guess, I guess we're in that that rural area again. We couldn't find somebody that kind of um, felt that same material. We tried a couple of drummers who came along, and they kind of liked the idea. But I, I, I and I, I absolutely understand this. But coming into a project that's somewhat established in terms of the material there, which was helpful for us to know who we wanted to be, meant that they felt like there was a lack of ownership on their part. And and I completely get that. And they kind of want to be involved in the origin of the material as, as well. So that 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 made that made entire you know that made sense to to me um so we had just about given up on ever playing live and thought you know maybe this is fine this is the future we can make this music and we maybe can't play it live but we can keep writing and recording and sending it out there and and, and try and get it across in other ways without having uh without being in front of a, a live audience and it was um then that we discovered that churches who are a band that we were both fans of but didn't you know we we weren't weren't mega fans but we had been fans throughout the years that was when we discovered that they played for 10 years without a, a live drummer. And, you know, they were using samples and they were using drum machines. And, and we thought, maybe that's something that we can do. So that's, that's, that, that single-handedly twisted the genre of music that we write because us playing guitar with a drum and backing track, we were concerned would feel quite karaoke. Um, and we, didn't, we never wanted to kind of be like, like a fake band we thought well how do we turn this into actually what we do then and then this is now this this is now a part of us it's not a limitation it's it's a it's what makes us is playing with this technology so that's when we just started to dip our toes more and more into in the synth and bringing out arpeggiators and trying to build up the tracks and then and then all of a sudden the guitars were, were staying staying hanging up here you know that that's that's by the by we're just sitting in and writing stuff uh writing stuff with keys instead and um and so we 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 done we did two albums. We did one album, this Neon City, that was our first kind of synthy synth based album, and we just loved working with that material. It unlocked so much more in us. I, I'm I'm not sure you, as as a musician yourself whether you've ever felt the same of uh, the same way you you pick up the guitar or you pick up your instrument and you just find yourself kind of 
using the same riffs, using the same chord patterns. And, and what this let us do was uh, kind of like start again, but with, with some of the songwriting knowledge that we'd kind of developed over the years, but this entirely new way of thinking with, with looking at keys and, and everything. So it was really refreshing to us to do that and, and let us have the live show. So this is a really long way of, of, of going around telling no, you that go ahead. that when we had uh, we had want to believe the album um, the album we released last year uh, we were looking for a female vocalist. In fact, we we kind of always had our eye on a female vocalist, and and again similarly we just didn't find one that 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 would really work or that would mesh with our style very well. And um, and Melissa had actually worked on um, a, a project that Oliver was doing. Um, where he was uploading covers to YouTube every week and he would get guest vocalists from, uh, we've, we've both been involved in theater as well. And, and Oliver more so than, than myself, uh, he's been in fringe productions and musicals and he has lots of contacts who can sing. So he was, he was working with all these different musicians and, and different, um, different singers. And Melissa was one that, that stuck in my mind. Certainly it's just having this really beautiful, sweet, soft voice, but it, but it, but it wasn't apologetic, which was quite difficult to find, I think, because sometimes you can be quite sickly sweet. Mm. I feel like there's, she, she's this, um, I kind of call her bittersweet sometimes because she's, she's really, she's, yeah, got that really sweet, soft vocals, but there is a bite in it and, and you don't want to get on the wrong side of it and you don't want to unlock it when, you know, you don't want it, you want it to be there when she kind of unleashes. Uh, so it just, it just worked out so well. We asked her to do the song Sex and Violence on that album and, um, and yeah, I guess the rest is history. It just worked so well that we thought, let's see, let's see, let's try this out. So we tried out doing some gigs with her for a year, building her into the material we already had and kind of writing things in the studio. Um, and, and then we thought, this is it. This is, this is just the way it was meant to be. So last, uh, I think last November, December, we announced that she was going to join uh, full time. And yeah, it, it's just, it feels like we're complete now. Yeah, that's um, that's a fantastic answer, and there's a few few bits I, I took away from what you mentioned there. So circling back, sorry, once you wind me up, it's hard to stop. <laughs> no, me, so. no, 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 <laughs> no. There's loads of good stuff in there. So circling back to what you said about playing the same riffs, and I very much did the mm-hmm. same. I remember being in a band, and it, maybe it's because of my own limitations as a guitarist, um, and maybe I could have put more time into it, the whole ten thousand hours, sure, as yeah, it were. Yeah. But I was finding myself, I'd always jam out the same riff, and I'd be playing the same sort of lead bit, and it would always be like, oh man, I've heard this bit before, and I, I was stagnant. I was I couldn't come up with anything new. Admittedly, I probably wasn't the main songwriter in the band I was in, which is total polar opposite to what I do now. Where, where I am the songwriter and what yeah, I release, yeah. but I very much agree with what you said there. And it wasn't until I started writing the electronic music and started using keys. I'm not a piano uh, player. I'm not, I'm not a keyboard player either. So <laughs> programming is my friend um, in this instance. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the sonic sca- soundscape available to me with the different instruments. And also the, the the variety of different things I could find online. It sort of opened up this whole new world, as you mentioned then, about where you find it when you in the, in your in the band itself. So certainly been down that route, and it's probably the same for a lot a number of number of um, mm-hmm. producers and artists. I would say, kind of, yeah, it just opens up this world of possibilities when you're. It's amazing, really, if you think about it. And I think this touches on something I had, I had an interview last week, and we were talking about the accessibility of technology, and the accessibility means that yeah. you could have a 13 inch MacBook Pro. Or there are other devices available. If you, <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, just in case somebody does want a sponsorship further down the line. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have that and you could write. I mean, the amount of stuff that I hear that has been produced on just that alone is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then it was the, the edge on the vocals as well, which I totally agree with. 
And I don't know what you think, but I think churches as, as an influence, I know I released a song a few years back, a couple of years ago, and there was very much a church's influence on that. And, and mm-hmm. there's kind of an edge or a bite. I mean, that might be slightly to do with the accent, um, but there's yeah, certainly yeah, of course. <laughs> an edge to that. And I think that's, I think you're right in that sense. And I think that's what you need. And in particular, that song that you mentioned, Sex and Violence, which is amazing, by the way, and how oh, I haven't you. been streaming that on repeat before, I don't <laughs> know, but I've been listening to that all week. And thank it's you. such, such a good song. So the audience listening, if you want a first sort of dive into Pensacola Mist, go check out that tune. Obviously, check out everything else as well. But well, I mean, that is a fantastic yeah, good song. recommendation. Man. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, and it's like you said there about the whole, the grittiness behind the vocal. If you didn't have it, I don't, well, if, if Melissa didn't have it, I don't think you would have that, that edginess that comes with the chorus mm-hmm. as well. If it was a soft vocal mm-hmm. with that, that, that line and that particular hook, it wouldn't work, would it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, amazing stuff. So let's take a quick break from this episode so that I can tell you about a free resource that I made for you. It's a PDF checklist that describes what you need to do to properly prepare a mix for mastering. So you've done the hard work and you love your mix, yet suitably preparing a mix for mastering is often overlooked by musicians, resulting in delayed sessions, excessive back and forth conversation and frustration on both parts. I want to help fix that. So if you want this free resource, just go to www.synthmusicmastering.com as this checklist will help and guide you to make the mastering process as smooth, transparent and exciting as possible. So again, the URL is www.synthmusicmastering.com for this free preparing a mix for mastering checklist. Let's get back to the episode. Kind of circling back right to the beginning. You mentioned how you yourself and Oliver started this project and you weren't quite sure whether it was going to go live, depending on who came in. Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. the initial goal and has that changed over time? I guess it's, it's twisting along, along the whole way. We, you know, we, um, we had aspirations to be regionally famous, I think. That, that was what we started with the guitar band is we want to, you know, the Northeast has got a really great music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, quite, it's quite guitar heavy. Um, but I think that when we started, we thought there's no reason why we can't get involved in some of those conversations too. And, and, you know, and that was our lot. That's what we would be happy with. We'd have just done some of the circuit there, made friends with, with the people that, that we were hearing on, on that scene. Um, but then once we, once we opened up and, um, and changed into this synth, synth, um, synth vibe, we've, we've just, we've kind of, this is actually something that I, I've also stolen from Kiss, but, but it's something that we work with too, is, is to try and be the band that we haven't seen or that we want to see live. And, um, there are certainly many, many bands that do everything that we do on a bigger scale and, a, and, and, and with, with, I guess more bells and whistles, but, um, on on the scale of the shows that we do in sort of small mid-sized venues like i still haven't seen someone that 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 brings in the fully programmed light show that we do and and have the the larger than life soundscape that that's created through that and um i mean that that sounds cocky and i, I certainly don't i don't mean it to be but i think i think primarily it comes to coming to a pensacola mist show uh oh it's in the downstairs of this pub for instance or it's in this small venue we've we've we saw um, blues in last week and then you've got this big light show that just like i did, didn't expect to see something like this in this place that's that's something that we that we kind of love playing with and you know we using some of the staging uh, experience that we've had and and the memories of shows that we've been to you know what are the moments that you you, you remember when you leave a show um and why do you remember that and and 
and some and most times for me it's because there was a real um there was there was a real i don't want to say rehearsed element to it but there's there's a blocking moment of saying in this point in this song this thing will happen and it may just be that so when i saw the midnight a few few weeks ago this the saxophonist goes to his spotlight in the stage and he plays and and you remember and i can see that now and i remember it and that's you know that's not saying that that it's disingenuine but it's like he had his mark there to stand at that point and the crowd go crazy and if he was stood at the back in the back line doing the same thing it would have still been impressive but it wouldn't have left that that mark and so you know that's that's the sort of level of, of things that we want to try and do is uh, we we want you to have half a dozen things that you remember when you leave seeing us as as these kind of memory markers um i think that's it i think i think that we we'd be happy with that you know it's it's so great to to get it out to new people and and to kind of widen the net and it's always it's i love seeing the the countries that have streamed us and even if we've only had one stream in a country to just add another country to the list and say we've been streamed in over 100 countries it's great you know i want one of those scratch maps and just see see even one stream in every country would be such a lovely thing to have you know just just to say we've been heard all around the world you know it's 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 kind of small manageable things but it's i guess ultimately we just want to keep having fun with what we do and uh and and keep pushing ourselves um and until well, i don't know i guess i guess until we feel we've done it all and i don't think that's ever going to happen no it's a nice response i like that and um it kind of uh, what you've basically done there is you've answered my what was going to be my next question which is amazing <laughs> uh, which was about the live show what the audience can expect and i think you've articulated it um very very well there in what you've said and just touching on what you said there about the midnight, mildly jealous that you've seen them, by the way, because I haven't. Um, I did see <laughs> you being there so on social media. It's amazing when you yeah. go to gigs like that. And I've had this, not a midnight gig, but I've been to other shows. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you are feeling, as an artist, maybe you hit a bit of a rut, you're not sure where it's going, and then you go watch a live act like the midnight or someone like that, and it just really reignites that flame to think, you know what, I'm going to go away from here. And it's moments, like you said, about the saxophonist stood mm-hmm. on the stage there. Um, and I've experienced something like that. So I'm a, I'm a huge Def Leppard fan. And I remember watching yeah. Def Leppard. Um, it was on my birthday for a number of years ago at the Motor Point in Cardiff. And then it was the Hysteria tour. So Phil Collin work, walks out and he walks straight out to the middle, uh, like low lights. And then suddenly there's a beam of light on him. It's just him playing the intro. And I'm just oh, like, wow, well, this, this, I, even now I've, I've got, I get shivers when I talk about <laughs> it. And I'm just like, man. But how strong is that memory and how clear is that in your mind? Exactly. And, and- I mean, I, I can remember bits and pieces from the rest of the gig, but I couldn't tell you what song was being played at the time. But there's that one moment and you're thinking, you know what? It's moments like that that sort of like inspire you to, to continue on as a musician. But also you can take that away. I'm not a performing artist anymore, but it's certainly something. And you can put all those pieces together and create this sort of um, Fra- I think so. Frankenstein hybrid show, which is amazing. Yeah. M- making set lists is always fun. And in fact, this album, we thought, um, more about the live show than any others as we've kind of established ourselves with what what that live show means to to us and what we want it to mean to the audiences so there there's definitely parts in these tracks that have how that will um how that will come across to the audience there sometimes it's easy to get stuck in what i like in the moment of being sat in, in the chair here on the screen but it's been really helpful to kind of think a bit bigger and actually envisage what that looks like on on the stage and um uh, and you know it it may be just like we we have um we have a song where we just leave Melissa and I leave and we just um usually I, I use I use Ableton to trigger all of the samples and all of the effects and um and 
and I'm doing that with all the different parts. So I can kind of remix it. I can drop the drums out. I can drop the bass out. I can add it and I can repeat bits. So they're all separate, separate tiles in Ableton. Um, but for that song, um, I just hit play and I've programmed that to just run. And Oliver just takes the stage and he's there on his own. And he does this amazing performance of this track, you know, that, he, that he's, his vocals are so strong on it. We don't need anything else. We leave. And people always, you know, they remember that bit too. We left and then we get to come back and it just keeps the, keeps the set fresh. Because even seeing bands that I've really enjoyed by the 50th minute or the 15th song, you know, and I'm kind of feeling like it's a little samey sometimes and, and to kind of break it up. Um, something that certainly I enjoy seeing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and it's something that's echoed in music as well. And I had a conversation with another artist a, a number of, of weeks ago or a week or so ago. And it was when I sent a track across to the um, this producer. And I was just like, you just give me a bit of feedback. And they said the exact same thing. It's like you have a song, much like a live performance as well, where you have that night and day. And sometimes you need to reduce those dynamics of what's going on just to keep the interest there. Because if it's full mm-hmm. throttle all the way through, you kind of, mm-hmm. like you mentioned there, um, I've been to gigs where I'm like that. And at the end of it, I'm like, it's just a blur. You right. Know? Yeah. And having mm-hmm. that night and day and specifically when it's just one person, something different keeps the audience engaged. I think I think it's a fantastic thing to do. Um, do you yeah, ever fun. Um, perform down in have you ever, how far into south uh, for the audience listening? I'm based in the southwest. How far south into the southwest have you have you been? So we um, <laughs> we so we started our live show about mm, uh, less than a year before the pandemic hit. Ah. So that was uh, that was good timing. Yep. And, uh, and so we just started to kind of know who we are and get our show together when we had to stop. And, um, so we, we've only done, you know, we've done about 20 gigs, but they're mostly been regionally here in the, in the Northeast. Um, we have plans to do a tour later in the year and we want to kind of cover a lot of, you know, most of the major cities. Mm. Uh, so, so hopefully we'll get that towards, you know, towards the end of the year, which will, which will be really fun to get in front of new audiences again going back to technology and the sort of reach of social media and how brilliant the scene seems to be with synth mm-hmm. is that everyone is, seems to be so supportive. And, and when you have these synth groups um, on Facebook pages or Instagram pages and they start sharing uh, about these gigs coming up and there's just this instant, this instant um, swell of support, you know, I, I, feel, I feel quite uh, lucky to be involved in it. Even if, even if very few people have, have heard of us, there'd be enough to say, oh, there's this thing and they've got this show and we'll go and see it. And once that starts on those pages, I, I reckon that we could get a, a, a nice sized crowd. I mean, a nice sized crowd to me is if we can get 20 people in a city we've never been in. I'm happy with that. You know, that's, that's, that's the start of something. But it feels like it's a really supportive scene. And, uh, and I'm hoping that that will uh, take us around the country a little further than, than just here in the Northeast. No, that would be amazing. The reason why I asked this is because I was wanted to make sure that I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't missed out. Like, right. performing down this way. <laughs> Not you know? yet. Um, not yet, not yet. We'll so we'll be down to you soon. I think the closest. I know there was a recent event in Bristol, so I live, I'm in Exeter, and Bristol's not right. that far. And mm-hmm. there was a there was a gig put on there. But um, to to echo what you said there about the support, I think if you were to say if 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 a gig is put on whereby it is synth orientated, synth mm-hmm. wave, synth pop, synth music, mm-hmm. I think because the scene and the network and the, the the shareability and the way content is shared by people in the scene and the, the fans of it as well and the artists it's it's different to what i've experienced before and i think you would i think you get a yeah. crowd um specifically now people are hungry to go out and enjoy live music as oh, well yeah. so you put those two factors together i think you know there's friends around the country as well and and and, and label mates that that we know that we are keen to tie up with as mm. well that we've 
we've not met in person yet, but we would love to do shows together. Young Empress in, in yep. particular, we've been talking to quite a lot about doing some shows together. And I think that should work really well when that happens. And it's, so it's all a case of, of, of when and not if. And, uh, and, and yeah, the, yeah, you're, you're right. There's just, they're just these, these real solid, genuine sort of support and friendship in, in the scene. You know, there's very little, um, bickering and negativity compared to some of the other stuff that, that could be out there. And I think mm -hmm. it's, I think it's because it's quite niche and, and it only, and, but it's quite rare still to know for everybody to know that it, it grows when everyone's in it together. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I, I say this on a lot of the podcast episodes in terms of how supportive the community is and how you meet and talk to new people every week and specifically doing things like this podcast as well. I, I talk to so many different people, not only on the podcast, but outside of it as well in relation to it. And it is amazing convert sort of like compared to what i've experienced in other in other musical genres mm -hmm. which is which is totally fantastic um but no i look forward to seeing that and I obviously I, I keep an eye on the page and whatnot and on instagram and stuff and and see where you guys are performing because i know i've been to countless rock and metal gigs but admittedly i've never actually been to like have i no no i can't say i have ever actually been to like a synth wave synth pop synth music based gig it's always been rock and metal for me, so it'd be something different, something interesting. I'm sure. There's there's a there's a rumbling though in the scene. I think that Bristol event I didn't get to, um, but but I was very envious not to be there, and I you know I kept my eye on it and and, and saw everything that was on socials with it. Mm. And uh, you know I'm hoping that becomes a, a somewhat Hopefully. regular event. That might be that might become the UK Super Bowl or the WrestleMania of uh, of synth. Is this <laughs> is this Bristol event? And and you know that would be brilliant. But uh, um, yeah, it's it it's just. Yeah, there's there's a rumbling, and and again, until the midnight, I hadn't really seen anything that would that was super synth. Again, our location hasn't really helped. The pandemic hasn't really helped, but and but it just feels as if the time is the time is is right. In the mm. next few years, there'll probably be plenty of opportunity to see 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 more. I definitely think so, and I think also from a like a production side of things. When I listen to now, I I do admittedly listen to Radio One. I dive in and out because um, mm -hmm. I like to keep on top of like the current musical trends. Mm. And the more I listen to it, I can hear elements creeping mm. in, these little synth elements and these little yeah, arpeggio, yeah. Um, arpeggiators rather, and arpeggio, arpeggiators and synth pads. It's a, yeah, it's a brilliant song, but Harry Styles, oh, I forget what that track is. This is where I don't usually check into Radio 1 and I should know, but there's that Harry Styles song that's kind of taken over the last few months. And I've had, we've had a number of people say, that sounds like the Pensacola Miss song. You know, there's just that, that, that little way of thinking, that sort of like 80s, the, the riff. As it was, is that what it's called? The, yes, the Harry Styles track, and and you know it's a brilliant song. I I wish it was ours, but you can hear it. You you there's easy made synth covers in some of these like um, pop hits these days now. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that one because I follow Justin Hawkins from the Dark on mm -hmm. YouTube, and he's got a fantastic. I never knew this existed. Is I can't. I think it's Justin Hawkins rides again. And I strongly right. recommend, even if you're not a Darkness fan, just go check it out, audience, because he will, he, he kind of picks apart music and, and performances and things like that. And he did one on David Coverdale, Whitesnake, massive Whitesnake fan, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he did one on that song by Harry Styles. And he pointed out how it's, um, the actual phrasing used in that song is the same as Aha, Take On Me. But it's shifted, and, so yeah. they start at, yeah. it's, they start at a different note. I know there's more to it than this, but he's described it way better than I can. And I think they think in the Harry Styles one, they start one or two no, no one or two notes ahead of Aha. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that just goes to show that uh, how successful that song is. And then 
it's essentially, if you look back into the 80s, it's, it, it's sort of like it's been influenced by one of the the biggest songs of the 80s in Take On Me by yeah. Aha. And it just goes yeah, to show yeah. how much that synth and that 80s nostalgia is creeping in. I did that riff. I was driving in the comments and went, wait a second. And I'm not one of these that says that every band should sue every other band for because there's you know there are only so many notes yep. and there are only so many yeah, orders. Yeah. So I'm I'm that's all that's all fair game. That's legally distinct enough. But I did notice it too, thinking <laughs> you can just transpose this a little bit and it kind of starts to work. But you know it doesn't doesn't take it away. Take it. No, not at all. It's like you say, you got to find influence somewhere. I mean, find me someone who's just writing out of the blue, who's mm-hmm. like says they have no influences and yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd call them a liar. That's, that might be a yeah. bold statement by me. There, <laughs> I'll probably get a lot of people saying I'm wrong, but I don't know. I would, I would, I'd like to say actually as well that the, yeah, you know, I, I'm very envious of um, uh, what I would call proper songwriters who do take it very seriously and create this amazing art because there is a real art to to songwriting, obviously. But um, but there are these different there are these different sides and and synth and the sort of synth that we do is is trying to just kind of focus on fun and and you know more than more than trying to be transformative trying to transform someone's life with the lyrics of a particular mm. song i find that quite freeing because i'm not very good at lyrics i think typically we 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 have a good go and, and in fact actually that's part of the reason why we um we mostly create stories for our tracks rather than try and find something from within us we kind of create create a scenario and we create um create a scene and then we think well what does that character feel and that kind of helps us kind of write through them rather than kind of something deep and meaningful within us so i just want to say in case there are any real serious songwriters listening i'm absolutely envious of of, the, of what you can do and uh and, and 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 i wish i could but uh but that's you know that's not really what pensacola myth is is about well i mean in response to that in all fairness i think you're fantastic songwriters so um, you. <laughs> yeah you do yourself a bit of a disservice but no i think well, I, I worried there i thought did, did i just slag off pensacola myth too much i certainly didn't mean to but <laughs> no no i can't get the balance right here <laughs> no no that's fine so it kind of leads on that nicely to my next question because i'm well aware of time here and this is what happens on this show I, I often digress and i then look at the clock and i'm like oh actually i've um i haven't even got to the the third part of the show yeah so <laughs> which is the songwriting and the compositional process behind the band um how does that start so obviously you've got melissa on board now so yeah who maybe that's the wrong sort of question i was i was gonna say who's the main songwriter but let's put it mm-hmm. another way how how does a song come together yeah so um, until this album, every song started with Oliver and I sat next to each other at this desk and a blank logic um, document open. And um, and we would pretty much always go straight to the bases and just figure out a figure out a baseline that we liked and then kind of built from there and kind of seen where, where it took us. Um, the pandemic changed things again that we had to work uh, separately for the first time and a lot of the tracks on this next album have been uh, originated separately and then finished together um but there's you know there's no real there's no real this is the way it's done these days any, anymore you know, sometimes sometimes ideas just hit and I'm, I'm sure you'll hear this from most people but it could be um you just wake up in the morning and i'm humming a song that doesn't exist or that i hope doesn't exist and then i then i come upstairs and try and turn that into something as a 10 minute sketch and then we come back to it later or um or 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 it's an idea it's 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 the the lyrics to something that kind of like just hit like that's great and i don't think i know a song that sings about that one thing so um so maybe that's the start of something and we kind of take it but i think my favorite way is the blank project with oliver and i sat next to each other and as frustrating as that can be sometimes to to be on to a loser uh or to struggle to kind of build it 
into what we expect it could be. Um, when it does work, it's just worth it. You know, that, that high of going, okay, this is great. And the song starts to spiral and, and just unfold itself and kind of write itself. Sometimes it feels like when we, when we get onto the right track. Nice. I like that. It's quite, it's quite refreshing as well to hear that you're together songwriting because in the, in the electronic world that we live in, in particular, when it comes to music production, I mentioned this earlier about the accessibility of music. And it's fantastic that you can collaborate with someone on the other side of the world and you can create something incredible. But it's also quite nice to hear that there that you're sat next to Oliver and writing at the same time. Um, Couch co-op all the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Melissa, where does where does Melissa fall into this? Is she yeah. local to you guys, or is this where you? So Melissa's in Edinburgh. Um, so okay. we 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 get fewer days in the studio with her. Um, again, the time the timing of her joining has, has been quite tricky. I've, I'd like to see us go back to more three way blank projects in this room. Um, there's there's only one track actually on the on this next album that started in that way, and it's really you know it's really refreshing. It feels really different because we had those three opinions kind of going into into it. Um, and that's a track called "Afraid to Stay the Night," uh, which which was one of the first days we we spent with Melissa after thinking, is this is this a, a permanent thing? What would it be like if we wrote a song that included that included Melissa from the off rather than trying to put her into something afterwards? And um, and and yeah, so that I mean that that's what that's what we'd really like to do. Uh, Melissa is actually very good at lyrics, so she's been uh, really useful to us because Oliver and I have spent so many hours in absolute silence where we just can't find the four words that we need to fill that pre-chorus before we get in there that don't sound that doesn't sound really cheesy or really lame, but also sounds as though we thought about it a little bit and uh, and and so sometimes. Well, more than once, and uh, I don't know quite how Melissa feels about this, but we've gone. We'll just leave that blank, and we'll see what Melissa can come up with. And uh, and usually, it's I mean, all the time it's gold, and we just keep it, and it's un- unchanged from that point. So you know, that's that's a real uh, that's a real key that she's bringing into uh, into our songwriting there. But um, she doesn't have uh, a musical background in that she uh, um, uh, knows how to play any instruments. But she she has listened to music throughout her whole life. She's a big fan. She's a big fan of, of of music and always has been. Again, she's been a musical. She's a fantastic singer. So it'll be so great to see what that what that what that can bring to the studio when we're in when we're in the space uh, going ahead. Um, so yeah, we've just we've just begun that songwriting process with Melissa, really. But I'm excited to see what it means when we manage to block a weekend in the studio together and see what we can make. No, it does sound very exciting. So, so my next question off the back of that is. You mentioned there about earlier when you have a blank project, a blank slate, mm-hmm. blank canvas, as it were, and then you, you throw some ideas down. So this is probably the million dollar question. How do you know? Because I don't know about you, but I start projects and I start and then yeah. I'll put them to the side and I'll start something mm-hmm. else and I'll do that and I'll revisit. How do you know when you're onto a winner? How do you know when you're like, actually, this song's got legs? I think every album that we've done, um, we have about between 60 and 100 uh track that we've started for that album you know and so most of them end up being something that we don't pursue further and um and sometimes we try and it feels like we're trying too hard and if it ever feels like we're trying too hard then it probably wasn't meant to be um and there's some nice phrases in some of those tracks and um and occasionally i go back to see if there's anything that we can pull out and use somewhere else or or to see if all of a sudden inspiration will hit with fresh eyes on it a year later but but it tends to be if if we sit and we're thinking for too long or we've not been excited about it for a, a little while, then it's just we'll just leave it and, mm. and we'll just start again. 
And uh, so some some sessions we might start six songs and, and we get we get 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour in, 40 minutes and go, oh, we're just not feeling it and move on, try another one. It 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 feels like quite a natural um decision to make to drop a track and find another one. I think I think it's that I think it feels that way that we're always trying to find a track that will unveil itself rather than try to create a track, which is silly because it probably is the same thing, I guess. But but sometimes you've got the wrong ingredients to start with. Yeah, I like that idea, and um, I think it's a it's a great way of thinking in terms of rather than well, in what you said there, and I think it echoes an interview I did. I think it was last year. Um, I think it who was it with? I can't remember who it was with now, but the but the artist mentioned how by they just write songs and songs and songs and songs, and eventually there will be that one song that sort of stands about stands above the rest, mm-hmm. rather than trying to write the perfect song. I think it's it's very similar in a way, I guess. To actually, I know when I'm writing. I don't know, copy for a website or I'm writing a bio or something yeah. or just anything. I'll just write and then I'll go back and refresh and then sort yeah, of like yeah. revisit it and make and see, see what it's like and rehash it. So it's very, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Right. Rather than trying to think, all right, I'm going to write the next masterpiece. Just see, just kind of see what happens. So it's always got to be fun. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah that's exactly. What it starts with is if we're not having fun and that's why we did this. This was our little escape. We had very, we had, you know, other than trying to maybe do some shows at the very start, it was just, we had some free time and it was always fun. So let's keep it, keep it fun. So as long as it's fun, it kind of like works itself out. Yeah, totally on board with that. And I think as soon as it doesn't become fun, it turns into a part-time, part-time job, which I've, I've been down that route. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's when it can get a bit laborious. But no, it sounds like whatever you're doing is working, by, by, which, is, which is great. So I'm well, once again, I'm, I'm aware of time. So there's a few songs I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to have mm-hmm. to sort of like shorten my list. Yeah, down, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Horizon, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's your latest single? It is, yeah. 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 Can you tell the audience uh, listening, if they haven't heard it before, sort of the, the story behind Horizon, what can they expect? Yeah, um, well, Horizon is, uh, was, I guess, an, an Oliver, primarily an Oliver idea that, that he brought to the table that we, kind of, that we kind of finished. But again, thinking of the live show, we try and keep, um, we try and keep the energy up on, on a lot of tracks, but we are aware, as you said before, sometimes that can feel... Um, that can be overwhelming and border on annoying if you've just got lots of noise and lots of energy all the time. So, so Horizon is is quite. A, I think of it as as more of a chill out track. It's you know, but it it has quite a fast tempo to it. It kind of so it keeps driving, it keeps driving through, but without with but trying to create some space within the track. Um, it it's the story of a of a, a bank robbery gone wrong. Essentially, this is again where where synth worked really well for us and and sort of that nostalgia for the eighties that we can mine all these ridiculous and and great 80s movies and and plots and think does it sound like it could have been a, an 80s movie great that's that's okay that's it's not it might be over the top for, for folk or for for indie or, uh, or or something similar but but we can we can write a song about bank robbery that's okay that's not unusual here <laughs> it's a safe space it works out well um we we i, I guess we tried to make an earworm that's our, our choruses tend to um have a few elements to them and i think this one we tried to just scale it back and so essentially the, the course pretty much the phrase play it cool over and over it's this person trying to tell themselves in this situation that they're failing out to keep cool stay calm to play it cool play it cool and and uh and and so yeah that's kind of like the little the little hook the little earworm that we wanted to kind of create with that one um of course mixing it and and getting it ready for release i, I I got slightly sick of hearing play it cool because it's in that track 64 times and, and you'll know how many times you listen to a track. So I must have heard play it cool, play it cool, or, you know, over 10,000 times at, at, by this point. 
but uh, but yeah, that, that that's the story of Horizon. It's uh, yeah, it's this it's this kind of upbeat, chill track that's uh, that's I guess got this sort of radio friendly feel. I guess because of that that repetitive hook in it in the chorus. Yeah, and I think it, it's fair to say that I think listening to your catalogue of music, um, you're very good as an outfit at writing hook, and it's something that I find that sticks in my head a lot. Uh, listening to your music, you mentioned there about the earworms in particular, and a lot. Uh, I think when it comes to the sort of music that you're releasing, it's quite similar to the stuff that I've done as well. And I've said this before on the podcast in terms of like I'll play the music to someone else, for example, my, my girlfriend, and if I find her humming the hook. Mm-hmm. I mean that 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 I set that sometimes as a barometer of right, success yeah, yeah. in terms of like okay if I can get someone who's totally new and hasn't heard it before because like you said there I mean if you're mixing a track or producing it you listen to the same thing over and over again regardless of whether mm-hmm. it's any good or not <laughs> it gets yeah, stuck in yeah. your head um, but no I think it like I said there you you guys are fantastic at writing hooks um, thank you and I, I've got to say and. Which kind of leads me on nicely to the next question, which is, I mentioned this song earlier about um, the song called Sex and Violence, which is probably my favorite favorite track that I've heard so far. Um, so you mentioned that was the first song, if I'm right, with Melissa on vocals. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah was, so yeah. just a bit of a story behind that one there. Um, yeah. So I, I guess this was when we were trying to play with um, heavy synths because we'd use synth lightly and in, in, uh, in sort of synth pop ways and 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 it's not it's not a pure synthwave track by any means, but we did try to like make it a little darker and, and kind of bring out some of the sort of dark dark synth elements of it, um, and and write a melody with Melissa in mind. That was yeah, that was the very first time. So I've got a great demo track of Oliver singing that in what he expects Melissa's voice to sound like, and I'd like to put that out there some some point because it's quite funny. But um, <laughs> but but it was about creating the drama and creating. Um, the the big bombastic feel of that one, and uh, and I there's a that was the first time I used a trick that I've used a couple of times since that I noticed first in um, I think it was Night Call by Kavinsky, where he's punctuating each of those start notes um, with a really deep uh, like Steinway or like a big piano sound, boom, and like just letting that rumble through and let how how powerful that feels kind of drive that track on and 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 how the dynamic just increase so much if you've got that that low big heavy punchy sound that kind of underpins it then you've kind of free you've got some ground in there to just build up and build up and kind of give it some height as well um you know so that that was a really fun track to, to work on um bringing in the ops and, and and oliver um oliver and i the way that we the way that we work so well together i think is that um Oliver, when he comes up with his tracks, might put in lots and lots and lots of ideas and they can maybe feel like they need a little bit of focus and I can come in and, and, and bring a little bit of focus in. And that might be, in fact, so in Sex and Violence, there's just a four-note riff. There's more than four notes there. But anyway, it's, it's, a, really simple, it's a really simple part, but um, it just ties all those other bits into like a, a central, central um, pattern. That's the, that's the track that it's going down and then these other parts spinning off of it. And um, and that wasn't there before. And and what Oliver does to me is that I feel like my my tracks sometimes need um, a level of uh, uh, unpredictability, or they need a little bit more energy. I might get stuck doing a sort of repeating riff that kind of falls in in a really nice pattern, a really nice art. But then I kind of keep it too contained, and Oliver can explode it out. So it works really well together because his he comes to my ideas and makes them bigger, and I kind of come to his ideas and focus them down, and they meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, and sex and violence 
think one of my favorite examples of, of the two of us kind of doing what we do best on that track and then being a showcase for Melissa's vocals for the first time. You know, that, that's a real great introduction to, I guess, what we want the next part of Pensacola Mist to be. No, that, that's really, really cool. And I like the idea that you mentioned there about um, augmenting or, or extenuating the initial hit of the bar with like a Steinway. And you can certainly hear that. And it's that impact that is really, really good on that track. Um, and it's something that I like to do in productions as well, whether that's um, bringing in an extra sort of kick element during a chorus or just mm-hmm. or sort of like automating automating the volume or or just changing the velocity of a sample slightly just to get right, that yeah. initial punch and impact mm-hmm. to come through and add in dynamics and i think it's perfectly sort of uh, showcased in that song which which is amazing and it's so nice as well you I'm, I'm envious of your position in your in your band that you've got that those two opposite forces coming together in, yeah. in this maelstrom and creating this amazing music which um which is once again, going back to what I said earlier about the accessibility of music and being able to write and produce on your own, and there is that solitary element that actually sometimes it's nice to have someone else there to bounce ideas off of, which in saying that, the community is great for that because I know for a fact there's the number of artists I can send a track to and they'll give me really honest and really, really good feedback. Um, so it swings and roundabouts, I guess, in yeah, that space. Can I ask you a question, actually? About this, yeah, this, sure. Based, based on something that... that- a feeling that I feel and I'm not aware of it until it happens and I want to see whether this is something that happens with you too but I might come up with a track or Oliver and I come up with a track and I get really excited about it and then I'll show it to my wife or I'll show it to a friend and at that moment I realize there's something that I really don't like in it or that I cringe and and I had never heard it before until I know that someone's listening to it first time and then I go then I kind of cover up and say oh that'll be different that that, you know we'll we'll but I hadn't realized I didn't like it until someone new is listening to it and and it's instant and I, there's no nothing different except from different set of ears and i just wonder whether that's something that you found as well you were saying about about um having you, your girlfriend humming the hook or something and mm. that being a, a win but do you ever have that on the flip side to, to realize that maybe something's not quite working that you didn't realize yeah i have and it's it's happened when i've released music as well oh yeah <laughs> yeah so i i'm one of those ones whereby i'll have a song and it gets to a point where i'm just like i've got to, i've got to call it now and i know there's yeah. a little bit some pieces i'll be able to to change but i've had it where i've been with friends and they've got a playlist going and a song of mine comes on and i'm like uh and i start and i sort of grimace and they're like what <laughs> what like you've released it and i'm like yeah i just I, th- I don't know maybe i'm being the, the diva thing saying i don't like listening to my own music but no i certainly uh-huh. do yeah. um and then i do i go what do i do with it off the back of that yeah, it's it's sometimes it's I'll a little go late away. in the game then. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there in that instance. <laughs> but if it's a demo, for example, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think with a demo, it depends. If they if they point something out to me and say, "Have you considered changing that?" I'll probably go in and do it or have a look at it. But yeah. if it's me as an individual, I think when I'm at the point where I'm sending demos out like and letting people listen to it, I think I'm almost happy with how it is. Right, right. And I'll leave it as it is. But I off, what I do now is, because otherwise what I find is I binge edit and I'll go away and listen and I'm, I'm forever. I'll listen to, a, listen to a demo and I'll be like, oh, I need to change that. I need to change that. And I'll just keep going. It's perpetual. So I just knock it on the head. Whereas if someone turns around to me and says, actually, Mark, I mean, you could probably do with a bit more high end there, maybe bring that hat down or maybe you need to add some high strings here or bring them up in the mix. And I'll be like, actually, yeah, you're probably right. So I'll go ahead and do it. So I think for me personally, I'm probably more responsive to other people when they're listening. Right, to a right, demo of mine yeah and then yeah. i kind of like with me just vocals vocals are the one that, that i toy with for ages with the mm-hmm. level i'm like oh yeah. it needs to be up there oh no right. i'll bring it down or yeah. up there. 
So what right. I do now is off the back of that is um, whenever I bounce out a mix, I'll always do like a zero dB vocal and then I'll mm-hmm. do a plus one and then a minus one. Right. And then when it comes to the mastering stage, mm-hmm. I'll go in a master or whoever's mastering it and I'll yeah. send all three. And then because when it's mastered, it can then often change. The, well, yeah. it's going right. yeah. to yeah. affect the, the dynamics in the track. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a long-winded answer to the question. Yeah, a very long, long-winded answer to that one. There, there was another thing I was going to add to it, but it's totally slipped my mind. Um, oh, that was it. Yeah. So um, about when someone listens to your song, so I had this conversation with an artist last week, and it was whereby um, you send your song out, or someone listens to it, and they actually say it's not. Mm, they sort of grimace a bit and say, "No, I'm not keen on that track." Right. Um, and I've done that, and then I've just shelved that song totally. And right, right. sometimes I think you have to go with your gut. And I think it's quite a good song, but mm-hmm. someone oh, says yeah. to me, "Actually, no, it's not that great." And and I think off the back of that interview, I was gonna, I was gonna say, "Actually, you know what? I'm gonna persevere with it, and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna release it, or at least put it as a side piece." So, no, it's tricky when other people listen to your music. Once again, it's a very long-winded answer. Um, I love it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it depends on the it depends on the environment. Um, I, I think I just build it into my process now of, of when I'm when I feel like I'm making progress with a track, I, I put that out there to someone. And uh, um, I don't know if I'm lucky or unlucky, but the, the people I ask to listen to it don't tend to really give me any sort of constructive uh, feedback on it. They they'll just go, typically will just go, oh, yeah, that's great. And and so I find myself trying to read the room as they're listening to it and trying to try and read their body language through it and, mm. and put myself in their shoes listening. And I think that's maybe why I kind of try and tune into something that then I find that I don't like. Um, but, but that whole, that whole process, that's a, a funny, a funny stage that I tend to build into most of my tracks. And it might even just be having it on in the office with a colleague um, at work or, or with my wife or one of my sister-in-laws is over and I just put that on. And that's when I, that's when I, that's when I realized there's something I don't like. Um, but through through that with, with with mixing, as we as I approach the end of an album, um, I mix I mix it and I export it. I bounce them and I listen to them. I always listen to them uh, through my um, AirPod on the sofa here in the studio, and I have my notebook and I just make notes. And then I so I make notes and then I make amends the next day and I bounce them again. And the next day I listen and I make mm-hmm. notes and and because if I'm sat in front of here, I'll twiddle forever. And I find that yeah. I'm way more focused if I have to do that 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 bounce and listen through. AirPods, which is kind of like where a lot of people, the sort of quality that people listen to it in as well. So it kind of lets me hear it in a place where a lot of people will hear it. Um, but that process uh, can get quite annoying quite fast because it feels like Groundhog Day every day, sitting down with a new page in my book and I'm the title of the song again. And it's like, okay, bring that down. Okay, yesterday I kind of messed that up because I brought that down too much. But eventually the, the, the list of notes gets shorter and shorter until I go, I guess it's done. Yeah, I do the same. I think it's a great way of doing it. And um, but very much like you, I'll bounce it down and then I'll make notes as I'm listening to it and I'll listen to it, listen to it rather. On I've got these terrible Bluetooth headphones which mm-hmm. insinuate the high end, something chronic. Yeah. I'll listen to it on those. And then I've got a mono speaker I'll listen to it on. So I'll, I'll check out what the um, the performance is when, it, when it's summed to mono and then I'll listen yeah. to it on the, in my car and all these different environments. And then off the back of that, because like you say there, if I'm sat there in front of it, I'll be like, I'll listen to it and I'll be tweaking a snare and then suddenly I'm like, oh no, no, that's throwing that out of whack and then I start moving stuff. Around I think so. I think you can do too much if you if you yeah. if you just edit like that and, and keep keep changing things. Mm-hmm. My wife's the same. I should shout out her because she she's heard, you know, like you say, in the car, in the living room, through the TV speakers. She just hears 
this album's not out yet, but she's heard it over a thousand times. I'm quite sure, and she and she's never once complained about it. So I'm so lucky that she's <laughs> that she's still supportive with with what we do, and uh, and yeah, I'm very grateful to her for putting up with it. No, so no, that's amazing, and it, it echoes what um, Brandon uh, Chapman interviewed last week. One equals two said the same thing. He said the, he's he's got a very forgiving partner who's mm-hmm. used to, who does the exact same. He's listened to the album over and over again. There's a new part is actually is that my my two year old daughter Lucy. Um, she she starts to pick up some of the hook and she starts to finish the choruses and I go, okay, there's something here then. If this two-year-old yep. is listening, I mean, I know she she will have also had to listen to this a lot of times, but if she starts singing, finishing the end of a the end of a chorus before it's there, you know, then I'll go, okay, that's as good. This must be this must be a good one. This is working. Yeah, hundred percent, definitely. It, like it goes back to what I said earlier about having the barometer of someone who's not actually interested in it, but is actually humming it. Mm-hmm. So that. Mm-hmm. Kind of nicely moves on to like the the last bit here. So the 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 opportunity now to sort of plug the new album. So release date when it's going to be released. Yeah. Um. Sort of a brief. Uh. So who's going to be released by as well? Release date. Uh, yeah. Who's released by? And also just a what a, like a brief summary of what the audience can expect. Yeah. Sure. So our next album is called Lost in Love, and it comes out on the fifteenth of July through Aztec Records, um, who are a phenomenal label that we wanted to work with. Um, it was on our to-do list find a way to work with aztec and we didn't even have mm-hmm. to send them the fruit basket they got in touch with us before we did that so it was always meant to be obviously um and and we love working with them there's some really fantastic guys so so yeah lost in love is coming up through uh through them and um it is an 11 track kind of ode to um the the highs and lows of love as told through the lens of a, of 80s movies i i guess with, without setting that side up, up of it too much but knowing that Many of the songs are kind of these stories that we that we tell, um, some of which are kind of action crime and, and, and some of which are, are more you know, breakfast clubby. But it but, it, uh, you know, that that's that's the idea. We are very lucky. There are a couple of guests on this one that we that we're thrilled to have um, on our last track, which is this big epic uh, epilogue to the album, which calls back the title of the album and the previous song Lost in Love. And um, and that the opening uh, dialogue in that is spoken by Janelle Elliott, who uh, played um, Lara Croft in half of the classic Tomb Raider games. I'm a huge Tomb Raider fan, and lovely. I met her, and she was so lovely and uh, agreed to do this for us at the start. So that's a that's a great thing for my list to tick off that that I've got Lara Croft essentially on one of our tracks on the album. And the end of that album, uh, the end of that track, sorry, features saxophone um, uh, by um, oh my god. Oh my gosh, I'm having a mind blank. That's not great. Thomas, I forget Thomas's surname. I'm so sorry, Thomas, from uh, who who played um, the saxophone on the majority of the Midnight's um, song. So it's you know that that's a real like bucket list track for us. Yeah, I think it's Edinger. I'm so sorry, Thomas, but uh, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, he does an amazing job, and that was you know that was brilliant for us. We've you know, we've got the Midnight saxophonist on this last track on the album, and it starts with Lara Croft. So it's just kind of this dream come true for us. This one. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's the first time that we're, that we're really presenting what the band is with Melissa and half the tracks are led by Oliver and half of them are by Melissa. And there are a couple that are, that are kind of co-lead vocals and it's and really great. It's a really nice flow of the album. Um, uh, and, and this sort of dynamic that, uh, is brand new to Pensacola Myth and I can't wait for everyone to hear it. No, I'm excited as well. Um, I didn't realize you have the, um, the saxophonist on there as well. That's, um, that's sort of. We always said we wouldn't have saxophone on our tracks because no one does it better than the Midnight. But when you have the Midnight saxophonist, I think you can get away with it. 
<laughs> well, yeah, this is it. This is it. I'm looking forward to this. So that's July the 15th. Again, there are brilliant saxophonists in the genre. I do, again, I've got to be careful with what I say there because there absolutely are. But for us, we knew we couldn't do it. We couldn't. We didn't want to fake it with with synth uh, sax, and we didn't want to uh, bring in someone that that we might meet on the street here. And and yeah, so we feel really thrilled and lucky to have Thomas on that track. Amazing. So the audience listening, this is uh, recorded prior to the um, album being released. So a link to the album will be put in the show notes for this, as well, um, as with everything else that uh, that we've mentioned. So which leads on nicely to where where can the audience find uh, Pensacola Mist online? Uh, primarily, we're uh, we're most active on Instagram, which is at Pensacola underscore Mist. Uh, our website PensacolaMist.com has all the links to everything else. Our YouTube channel is um, is is criminally underviewed, if you ask me. <laughs> we we have very few subscribers, and uh, and all of our music videos are, are one shot music videos that that kind of like are very taxing mentally for us to come up with ideas that are interesting enough to keep without cutting away of the camera. So. It would be nice if somebody watched those one day. So, you, you know, feel free to check those out if, you, if you'd like. Yep. And your um, audience, go and do that. Uh, but, but yeah, it, follow us on Instagram. You get everything really there. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter by Touch Pensacola Mist too. But Instagram is where we're most active and where you'll get most of, uh, most of our content on there. It'd be lovely Fantastic. to see some, see some new people there too. Yeah, I will um, put a link in the show notes to all of those there. And um, the U- YouTube is a cruel, cruel mistress, I find. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on YouTube myself, and I do put time, I say time and effort, I do put some time and effort into it. But the return on investment is so <laughs> that's, low. We must do that because it's fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I put out that, that that's the reason I do it. I don't think yeah. I have to resign myself to the fact I'm never going to hit the uh, the billion or the even yeah, the billion. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows this but, time? Well, this is it. You never know. It might suddenly spike one day. Occasionally, I get that. I've had more, I'm going off on the tangent now, I've had more views via shorts on YouTube than I have by yeah. long video shorts, yeah. So I'll, I'll post shorts and then suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, I've had like 2,000 views in the last day and it's Amazing. just a 15-second video. Right, yeah. Whereas I release a new song and there's, I don't know, 200? Well, this <laughs> so, is where we're terrible. We're not on TikTok, sorry. We're everywhere but TikTok and we should be on TikTok because that's where it happens. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not there mentally yet. And hopefully mm. I will be before it's too late. But right now it's Instagram. I'm a millennial and that's where I'm stuck at. Yeah, TikTok is a, I, I, you know what? I was reticent to do it. And my girlfriend was like, no, you need to do TikTok. And I was like, because it's just my face. A lot of the There's time. some brilliant uh, pr- production tips though on TikTok I've found. You know, you know that, yeah. that sort of stuff you can do. It, um, you know, that, that's been really useful because you get these really snappy hints that I've certainly taken on board when I have visited TikTok. And I think, um, just to ensure that, the key thing I've, th- I've taken away from having created videos on that, the great thing is they don't have to be perfect. They can literally be just like um, you can swing your camera around oh, yeah. your face, yeah. post it, po- point it at your computer, which takes away that. With I think with YouTube, everything's got to be pristine and mm. brilliant, um, whereas TikTok's not. Anyway, anyway I digress. Um, Dan, a huge, huge thanks for joining me on this today. Well, I mean, I could, I've got a thousand other questions I could probably go into, <laughs> but I don't want to keep you too long on this Sunday. So no, a big thank you. Um, I will endlessly plug the new album when it comes out. And thank you um, very much. I'm really, really, really looking it. forward to it. So big thank you for joining me today, buddy. No worries. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, bud. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Inside the Mix podcast. Make sure to rate us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify. 
Just a friendly reminder before you go, don't miss out on your free test master at Synth Music Mastering. Imagine enhancing your music with my dedicated commitment to quality and that personalized touch. And guess what? It's absolutely free of charge. To claim your free test master now at synthmusicmastering.com or click on the link in the episode description.